The title of our message today is Pray Until You See a Breakthrough. It's on the topic of persistent prayer, continuing to pray until you receive an answer from God. Now, an answer from God is not always yes. It could be three things. God could answer yes, God could answer no, and God could answer wait. We like yes, we don't like no, and I hate wait. And I don't know about you, but waiting is not necessarily my forte, and I think probably in our culture, it is not anybody's forte. We're used to instant everything. We're used to fast food. We're used to things moving quickly. And if ever we have to sit and wait, especially if we don't have our phone, we're out of our minds. We're like, what in the world? I'm guilty of being at a light. I don't know how long lights are, 45 seconds, 50 seconds maybe in Tucson. And I'm guilty of going, why isn't this light changing? I don't, I don't understand. But God wants to speak to us today about why he wants us to be persistent. And it's from a passage we find in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And I want to, first of all, talk to you a little bit about what I mean by breakthrough. Pray until you get a breakthrough. What I don't mean is what some people mean is pray until you get what you want. That's not what I mean. I mean, pray until you find God's will for your situation. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. It's kind of mind-boggling. Jesus, taken on the form of a man, had a different will than the will of the Father, or as possible. Not my will, but your will be done. And he prayed that three times. We're taught in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we are to pray regularly for the will of God. God's will is the best thing for you. This is what Romans 12, 2 says, that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. I've heard people teach before that that's three different wills of God's life for you. That's not what it means. It means God's will for your life is good. God's will for your life is acceptable. You can receive it and walk in it. And beyond that, God's will for your life is perfect. Because God is in eternity and we're on earth. God sees things from a different perspective. God is dealing with everyone around us and he knows what the perfect will is. And so when I say pray until you see a breakthrough, the breakthrough I'm talking about is not getting what you want. The breakthrough that I'm talking about is receiving God's will, which is better than what you want. I like to say, if God doesn't want it for me, I don't want it even if I want it. Right? And sometimes that's hard to take but I want God's will in my life even if I'm going to struggle with whatever that will is because I trust him and I think that it's going to be a positive thing. Now, this is a parable we're covering. And Jesus gave parables for two reasons. The first reason he gave was to hide it from hide the truth from people. And that really blows people's mind when they learn that about parables. I thought parables were common stories that gave us illustrations of spiritual truths. That's the second thing. But not, but, but you got to dive in for that. Jesus doesn't, Jesus only explained one parable and we're only told what a couple other parables mean. Most parables we're just told and left alone to figure it out. So what he wants from us is to dive in. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so when we read something we don't understand, then we are to dive in and find out what that truth is. 
The reason Jesus gave, a, gave, gave parables, we're told in Matthew 13, 13, his disciples, in the beginning of his ministry, he taught plainly. He did, he did the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, um, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, um, rejoice when you're persecuted. All of this was direct teaching. None of it was parables. But at a certain point in his ministry, when the leaders, the religious leaders were rejecting him, he began to speak only in public in parables. And the disciples are like, why the change? Why, why do you only speak in parables? Here's what Jesus says. This is Matthew 13, 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. It doesn't say, I don't want them to see and not see. He says, seeing they don't see. They have eyes, but they're not seeing. Hearing, they're not hearing. And so he's speaking to them in parables because he doesn't want them to get it unless they're serious about following after him. So this just speaks to us about our diligence in finding out what God wants. And, and if I can, just take a moment to encourage you, find something you are interested about in the scriptures and dive in. Really pour into it. Find out what's there. It is incredibly deep. It is incredibly interesting. And there is, it, it's, a, it's a journey of discovery that is absolutely amazing. And so God wants us to have that kind of a heart. So we want to begin with verse 1, where we're told it's a parable. This is in, again, verse 1 of chapter 18 of the book of Luke. And it says, he, he, Then he spoke a parable to them. And now, and praise the Lord for this, Luke, the writer, tells us what this parable is about. Maybe he realizes it, it's a little, you know, it's going to be difficult to figure out. So he tells us, and he says that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus is concerned that because we don't receive the answer from God right away, that we might lose heart. Doesn't want us to lose heart. There's another passage that speaks of this, and this is in Galatians 6, 9, uses the same term, don't lose heart. It says sometime, this is Galatians 6, 9, Sometime, that's my, my notes. I'm doing this every service. Um, it says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. In due season, you shall reap if you don't lose heart. Now, the warning here is, is that Jesus gives this parable so we won't lose heart. And the warning is, if we do, we're not going to receive. So persistence in prayer means we receive. And if we lose heart, we're not going to receive. So this is a very important topic that we would be persistent in prayer. I'll give you one more, and this is Hebrews 6.12, that you do not become sluggish. Are, are, are you guys sluggish in your prayer life? It's possible to get sluggish in your prayer life. Just kind of be like, oh, Lord, bless everybody in the world. Amen. <laughs> he says, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We are to be imitators of people that by faith, which is trusting what God says, believing it so much you'll do what it says to get, to get the promises, and patience receive the promises of God. Again, I don't necessarily like the fact that I have to have patience to receive God's promises. I would like instant promises from God. Give me the promise. Let me ask you for it. Give it to me right away. And God's like, you need to wait. And I'm like, okay, what a drag. So 
Let's get into the parable. This parable is a little confusing. So it, uh, it says in verse 2, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now, first of all, that's not a good characteristic for a judge. That you have no one you fear, that God, you're not afraid of God for what you're going to do, and you don't regard men. You don't want to give justice. This guy is called the unjust judge. I'm going to call him the jerk judge. <laughs> because any judge that doesn't regard men, that doesn't care about them, is a, is a jerk. So then in verse 3, Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not regard God nor fear men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Now, what's it saying? We, the judge is, is, gets up in the morning, he's got this widow, he won't rule for her. He gets up in the morning, walks outside, and there she is. Rule for me. He goes out for lunch, there she is. Goes out to dinner with his family, there she is. The next morning, there she is. She's just always around. And finally, he's like, I am so annoyed, and she's wearying me, I am going to rule for her. Now, is God saying that he's annoyed by our prayers? Is he saying persist in prayers so that you bug God enough that God's finally like, okay, fine, just stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you want. Not at all. This is a parable of contrast, not a parable of comparison. In all fairness, I understand the confusion because most parables are parables of comparison. Only a few are parables of contrast. In other words, it's saying this, if this judge that doesn't regard God nor men, if this judge who is unjust will answer for her because she is persistent, how much more will God who loves you, who wants to give you things, give it to you when you continue to ask him? It's an encouragement to continue in prayer. Now, let me give you just a handful of scriptures. I say a handful, I've got four. I'm trying to cut down the number of scriptures. I'm like, let me give you a few scriptures, then I give you guys like eight. I'm cutting them down, all right? This is personal growth, all right? Uh, so I just want to give you a handful of scriptures of the Bible encouraging us to be persistent in prayer. The first one is Psalms 40, one through three. It says, I waited patiently on the Lord. This is... This is a testimony, a personal testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 40. I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined to me. He heard my cry and he also brought me out of the horrible pit. This man was in a horrible pit. He waited patiently for God in the pit. God heard him and God delivered him. The second is very familiar. This is Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone, this is the promise, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks the door is open to. That's pretty amazing. But in the Greek, it is in the continual. There's a, a Bible version 
called the Amplified Bible. If you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to get it. Put it on your desk or wherever it is that you study a little bit. And when you read a passage that you go, I'm not quite sure what that's saying, the Amplified Bible can help. It amplifies the Greek and Hebrew words. It just lays them out. It gives you the longer kind of definition of a word rather than just giving the word. Very helpful because definitions of words are not always correlated completely with the, with the English. Sometimes the word means something slightly different. The Amplified Bible can help you with that. You could also do a Greek and a Hebrew study, but the Amplified Bible, extremely helpful. You can get it on online as well. You can get it on an app on your phone. Uh, so this is in the continual. That's what you would learn from the Amplified Bible. That in other words, when he says ask, it's in the continual in the Greek. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. And you will receive. So the promise has a condition. God says, I'll answer you. I'm going to open doors and I'm going to, you're going to find what you're looking for, but you're going to have to continue to do it. I'm reminded of the passage that says in the Old Testament, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God wants that diligence in our lives. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 also talks about persistence. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when you are praying without ceasing, that is God's will. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to always be in your you know, prayer closet, always out on your back porch, always praying. It means as you're going through your life that you're constantly praying and asking God for help. Now, I'm not a fan. This is my own personal opinion, okay? So if you are a fan of this, don't take my word. Get right at here. I just, this is just personal, okay? Pet peeve. Um, I'm not a fan of praying for trivial things. I, 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 when I pray for something trivial, I always feel like there's so much more serious things for me to be praying about. My late wife used to pray for parking spaces. <laughs> and I would, I would tease her about it. But, but that woman got parking spaces. <laughs> it, was, it was like amazing. She, uh, she would say, see? And I'd be like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Because she would go, you know, turn up front. It's crowded. She'd go turn up front and there would be a parking space. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying we have that continual access to God. Christians, and this is very unique to Christianity. We think to God. We, we're always with them. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. God is with us and we think to him. Rather than just thinking to ourselves, we can think to God and we should be. And that is praying without ceasing, continuing in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this, continue earnestly in prayer. So that's got the idea of really meaning what you say, not just going through the motions, which is spoken against in the scripture, but really saying it meaningfully, not just repeating something. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with it in thanksgiving. So there's no denying that God wants us to be persistent in prayer. The question is, why? And this is where the difficulty comes in. Because God doesn't have a bad memory. And so if I pray fervently one time for something, why is God like, keep praying? Why does he just go, I heard you, click. In fact, 
in, in the Bible, incense in the Old Testament, in the, in the temple was a type. First of all, the temple is, is a type of heaven. It says these things are a shadow of heaven. So when you study the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, everything there represents something in heaven, which is a pretty amazing study. And the incense burner, and you burned incense on it, represented the prayers of the saints that constantly were up in front of God. So that as I pray, my prayer lingers on in heaven. So why do I got to pray again and again and again? Why do I got to keep praying daily for it? Well, I have three reasons that I want to give you. The, the first one, a little iffy. I could see why people would bring up objections to it. The second one, better. Third one, best. All right. So the first one is, I think God wants us to be fervent in prayer. This is James, excuse me. Yeah, James 5, 16b, or the second part of James 5, 16. It says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or accomplishes much. Now, three things there. Number one, it has to be effective. I think that he's saying here, we got to have a right relationship with God. We've got to get rid of our unconfessed, unrepented sins in our lives because those put us at a distance from God. We got to treat people around us right. The Bible tells us if a man isn't treating his wife right, his prayers are hindered. So that makes it ineffective. So there are a lot of things we could talk about making it effective, but then fervent, the effective fervent. God wants you to, to speak to him with emotion, with care, to really mean it when you say it, to plead with him, to call out to him. Just because he doesn't want it to be this, you know, yawny, I'm doing my duty, prayer. He wants it to be meaningful. Just like your wife wants you to say, I love you, meaning it. Not like, I love you. He'll see you later. But, I, but really and truly meaning that you love her. And, and the more we wait, two things could happen. We're praying. We're praying fervently. One thing could happen. We could lose heart. We could stop praying fervently. Another thing could happen is that while we're waiting to get out of the pit, or for whatever we're praying for, we could be more emotional and pray with more fervency. This is why I say you might be able to bring up some objections and argue against this position, but this is one thing that I think. The second, a little bit better, is that God wants us to walk in faith and is testing our faith. God doesn't answer our prayers right away because God wants to stretch our faith. He wants to test it. In the Old Testament, I think it's uh, Genesis 22, Abraham is given this horrible command. Take your son, your only son. Ishmael had been removed is through the you know, handmaiden Hagar. Take your son, your only son, which also speaks of Christ, and sacrifice him on the mountain I will show you. Later on, we learn he takes him to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. And at the foot of Moriah is where Jesus is crucified, where the father sacrifices his son for our sins. And the son is, offers himself as well. Now, Abraham has had a promise from God that Isaac, through him, was going to come the seed that was going to bless all nations, which is a promise of the Messiah. It's going to come through Isaac. And so when God tells him, take your son and sacrifice him, he loads up a donkey with wood. He 
He has a servant, bring him to Mount Moriah. And as they begin to walk there, Isaac says, Dad, see the wood. I see the fire. Where's our sacrifice? And Abraham answers, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Interesting wording in the Hebrew. Some say, well, God's just saying he's going to, he himself is going to provide a sacrifice. But that's not the way it's worded. It's worded, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. So when they get up on top of this mountain and um, Isaac is now bound, we, we, we learn that Isaac is like 30 and that Abraham is like 130. And he bounds him. And I think Isaac could have very easily have said, I got an idea, Dad. Why don't we tie you up, sacrifice you instead? <laughs> but Isaac had to be, he had to be, he had to cooperate. This again speaks of Jesus laying down his life for us. It was the father's good pleasure to bruise the son, but the son laid down his life. Some critics, the neo-atheists especially, will say this is cosmic child abuse. The father in heaven abusing his son. No, it's the father and the son cooperating together to be able to redeem mankind. When someone sacrifices their life for someone, we, we call them a hero. If someone steps in front of a train and pushes someone out of the way and dies by the train, it brings tears to our eyes of the sacrifice of the life. The father and the son sacrificed Jesus for us to be given eternal life. Now, Abraham pulls back the knife and the angel of the Lord stops him which we kind of know before we even get there, right? This isn't going to happen because in the law, Abraham lives before the law, but in the law it says, don't sacrifice your children to, 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 don't sacrifice your children. And we know that the Hittites, the Sumerians, the Canaanites, the, the Edomites, the surrounding regions sacrificed their children to God in the ancient days. 1,000 uh, year B.C., 1500 years BC, it was a common practice to sacrifice your children. So this isn't so far out of the culture, but it's something God doesn't want. And so the angel of the Lord stops Abraham, provides a ram caught in the thickets, and he sacrifices that ram instead. Now in the New Testament, we get what's going on in the mind of Abraham. Abraham's got this conflict. Isaac is going to bless, through Isaac, I'm going to bless the entire world. Now go and sacrifice Isaac to me. So in the very beginning of that passage in, in, in Genesis, it says, God tested Abraham. It was a test. That helps. And then in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham, by faith, offered up Isaac, believing that God was going to raise him from the dead. Now we learn what's going on in his mind. In his mind, he could only reconcile God saying through Isaac, I'm going to bless all nations, and him being told to sacrifice him, that he was going to be obedient to God, but God was going to raise him from the dead, which is even more of a picture of Christ rising from the dead. In other words, the testings of God are not always easy. And God testing our faith by making us wait is not always easy. It's difficult. Listen to what it says about our faith being tested in 1 Peter 1, 7, it says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire. God wants you to have a genuine faith because genuine faith is much more precious than gold. It's, it's, it's more important for you to have a real, sincere, genuine faith than it is for you to be rich. You're going to be better off in the long run having a genuine faith than having wealth. And then he says, tested by fire. So God's going to test our faith by fire. Wonder how many times we failed those tests. I wonder how many times we didn't even know we were being tested. But God's testing us to reveal what's in our heart, to reveal our faith. And then he says this, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a reason for making us wait that he is testing the genuineness of our faith. And to continue to pray, being persistent in it is a test. Are you going to continue to pray? Don't lose heart. Those are the two things that could happen. You could persist and receive, or you could lose heart. There, there's another passage that goes along these lines, and that is in uh, Hebrews, excuse me, that's in Galatians, if I can find it. It's in another place in my notes. Let me just quote it to you. So there's another passage that says, it talks about losing heart, that says, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. In other words, if you don't lose heart, it says, you will, it actually uses that term, don't lose heart. So in other words, you could pray for something for a long time and then lose heart and not receive it. You could do good for a long time and then lose heart and not receive the rewards for what you have done. Now, the third reason that I have for us persisting in prayer is a little bit, is, is even better. It's, it's for sure what God's doing, okay? I think God's doing these other things, but this is for sure what God's doing. And that is, we are in a spiritual battle. And, and I think sometimes we don't know it. We're in a spiritual battle. So the Bible tells us in Ephesians, this is in the putting on the armor passage. The armor is pretty simple. It's a helmet of salvation. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's the belt of truth. It's your feet prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the shield of faith that can stop the attacks of the devil and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Interestingly enough, if we were to break all of those down, none of them represent prayer. However, we're told this in Ephesians 6:12 in this passage. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of the age, against a spiritual host of wickedness. Four different types of fallen angels. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, a host of darkness. Four different types. And it says that we battle against them in, in, in spiritual places. Now, here's what I think is going on here. I think, first of all, that when God created the, the celestial kingdom, we're talking about angels in heaven, and he created angels to occupy heaven. He wanted them to rule with him. And so when you go to the Old Testament, there are passages that talk about this council of spiritual beings, of angels, who rule heaven with him. God didn't want to rule alone. God wanted participants in it. And when he made Adam and Eve, you go back to Genesis and you read that God gave Adam and Eve 
dominion over the earth and the animals. Now they gave that up. And Satan is now the God of this world. But God wanted them. Dominion means to rule. So God gave Adam and Eve and in humans dominion over the earth. So God created a, a terrestrial kingdom, a celestial kingdom that angels would rule with them, a terrestrial kingdom that people would rule with them. We've been given that we've given that up. It will be restored. We're told in the millennium period, we will rule with Christ. He's going to have us rule with him. And now in this interim that we are in a spiritual battle with him. God could take care of the enemy in a moment, in a heartbeat, and one day will. But right now, he wants us in the battle. That's why we put on our spiritual armor. And then at the very end of that passage, after it tells us we're in a battle, put your armor on, which is, by the way, make sure you're saved. That's the helmet of salvation. Make sure you got your helmet of salvation on. Breastplate of righteousness. Make sure there's nothing separating you. You've got the righteousness of Christ. There's no unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life. The belt of truth that you are seeking truth. Your feet prepared with the gospel. You're taking the gospel with you everywhere you go. The shield of faith that fights and puts out the fiery darts of the enemy. And the word of God, which you can, is our offensive weapon. Every time Jesus was tempted, he used the word of God to battle against him. All right. So all of these things are given to us. And then it says at the very end of that passage, put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, and then stand and pray. So prayer is a part of that spiritual warfare. We put on our armor and we stand and we pray because God wants to fight along with us. We are in the battle. And here's the thing. You, you may be like, I don't want to be in the battle because I don't want to mess with demons. I got a rule. That, that's not my rule. I'm just saying that we say things like this. I have a rule that I'll leave them alone if they leave me alone. That's good enough for me. I don't want them going. I need to take care of, of this guy. I had that rule in my house. After my late wife passed away, there's a giant wolf spider living by one of our pictures. And I get the heebie-jeebies with spiders really bad. If I take a shoe to smash one, half the time I miss because of the heebie-jeebies. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I don't like it. So I had a rule. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You can stay here, but I'll leave you alone. Now, I've since remarried and I no longer can have that rule. <laughs> I have to take care of spiders in my home. My stepson was over uh, last week and there was a spider in our bathtub and my wife told me, hey, there's a spider in the bathtub. And I went and I looked at it, it's pretty big and black and yeah. And I like looked at it and I was like, uh, hey, how are you with spiders? I said to him. And he goes, fine. I said, there's one in our bathtub. So he came in, he got toilet paper, he reached down, smashed it, threw it in the, to in the, in the toilet, flushed the toilet. And I'm like, that's pretty easy. <laughs> that would not have been how I would have done it. I would have grabbed the toilet paper, started reaching for the spider. The spider would have made some kind of a flinch because then I would have flinched and it would have just been this mess that would have taken place. However, in the spiritual realm, we have been guaranteed success. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Jesus told the disciples, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. Scor uh, serpents and scorpions there 
are demonic spirits. They're a metaphor for demonic spirits and they will not hurt us. At the end of the book of John, we're told the evil one cannot touch you. The Bible tells us give no place to the enemy. The only way the enemy can come after you is if you give place to the enemy. But God wants us in the spiritual battle. So this makes sense when it comes to persistent prayer. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it's interesting, Daniel 12, there's a, it says, Daniel 12, 1, and Michael, the prince of Israel, the great prince of Israel, will stand up in the last days. That's just a great picture to me. Michael is the angel over the nation of Israel. Michael, the archangel. And in the last days, a time of Jacob's trouble, the Bible says, Michael's going to stand up. And I don't think he's standing up for any other reason that's not going to be good to certain people that Michael stands up. Michael's like, I'm standing up. So then earlier in the book, Daniel's praying. And he prays for 21 days. And at 21 days, an angel comes to him. And the angel says, on the day you started praying, I left, but was hindered by the prince of Persia. Persia is Iran. So there's a prince over Israel, Michael, and there's a prince over Persia, and it hindered the prayer from coming. And then after he prayed, for, and we battle against principalities and powers. So I think that over every nation, there is a, there is a fallen prince and an angelic prince that are battling. And then he says to Daniel at the end of it, I have to go because I have to battle the prince of Greece. So now this angel who I'm taking as a prince as well is now going to have to go and battle the prince of Greece when he leaves. Now, if Daniel started praying and the prayer left heaven, the answer left heaven, but was hindered by a battle in the sky and Daniel kept praying, could it be that when, if Daniel gave up, that his prayer would not have been answered. In other words, could it be your answer's already on the way and that God wants to partner with you and have you involved in it? And so God is looking for you to persist in your prayers so you can receive it and not lose hearts. I think that's a strong biblical case. I could make it stronger. I think that's what's happening. And for that reason, when you are in the pit, when your family's in the pit, when there's something you really care about, pray and don't lose heart. Keep praying. Set an alarm on your phone to pray at a certain time of day for a certain thing you care about and persist with fervency in that prayer. Now, I have one more thing I need to cover quickly, and that's the context of this uh, parable. Because you remember, Last week, we talked about the last days. Jesus talked about what the last days are going to be like when he comes back. The days of Noah, the days of Lot, if you remember. And, and then he gives this parable. And then in verse 7, he gives this. And context is extremely important. He says, this is right after he says, hear what the unjust judge said. And then verse 7, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. When it happens, it's going to happen fast. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? During the tribulation period, so many people are going to be killed. Faith is going to become rare. 
But Jesus gives us a clue as to why we're, go we're supposed to be persistent in prayer when he says, though God bears long with them, verse 7. He's bearing long with those who are abusing the elect. In his patience, he wants people to get saved. In, in, a, in a passage in Peter about why Jesus hasn't returned yet, it says God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. So may we continue in persistence. May we discover what God's want. I have a verse in closing, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So it's a good thing our faith is tested for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Persist, cry out to God, get in the battle, stay in the battle until you receive everything that God has for you. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that we are spoken so clearly of in these things. Thank you that Luke tells us what this parable is about and that we can understand that we need to persist in prayer. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.